case file number 3.2. Hacking in the sky with diamonds. Observed by Agent Crenshaw. Subject 1, alias Hackalope. Subject has a history of working in computer security for over 20 years. He has been observed to several Fortune 500 companies and federal agencies during that period. He has been amassing historical information related to espionage and covert action as well as corporate malfeasance. Subject 2, alias Emir. Subject has a history of working in computer security for the last 10 years. He has been observed at NASA facilities regularly. We've also tracked him to the gym where he seems to be bodybuilding. We are amassing evidence to charge him with felony for skipping leg day and curls on the squat rack. Subjects are suspected of having information related to hacking the Gibson. Uh, the accounting subject in the Gibson's working really hard. I think we got a hacker. So, did you happen to go to any of the, uh, like, the Hackasat um, village at Defcon this year? I walked by there. They were uh, they were just behind the, the uh, car hacking stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. They were kind of, like, tucked away in the corner there behind the um, the car hacking and then the, uh, I think, the CTF stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't spend much time there at all. <laughs> I, I talked to, like, some of the guys there, and uh, they had some interesting things they were talking about, um, putting, like, security on these things called CubeSats, mm-hmm. um, which are... Little 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 satellites that um, I'll go into a little bit more um, further on in this, but yeah, because I've um, heard of CubeSats, and I know that you can mm-hmm. kind of like buy one yourself and get it launched. Pretty pretty much. I mean, they're, they're fairly cheap. You know, tons of people are basically getting into the space game right now. SpaceX has their Starlink, which they launched mm-hmm. the massive constellation, and we got like you know Blue Origin. Um, both sending Bezos into quote-unquote space, even though he didn't really go to space, and um, also suing NASA. A constellation is is like a group of, of satellites that communicate with one another? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I forget how many are on Starlink, but it's pretty massive. It's actually raised some concerns, too, about like kind of cluttering up space. <laughs> so there's there's been endeavors that have the ability to revolutionize how we do things because of this. Uh, such as bringing internet to remote regions with Starlink, improving GPS navigation with um, other stuff. You know, you can afford to send a CubeSat up just for like small little endeavors that opens up a lot more to human advancement when it comes to space. But that also means that now satellites are becoming more and more of a target by hackers. Oh, of course. Yeah. The the potential for hackers to take over satellite and use its thrusters um, to basically make it a, a kinetic device mm-hmm. they could um smash it into other satellites or even target the iss and basically hold the united states and like russia for ransom and say like if you don't pay we're gonna like smash a satellite to your space station and kill everyone has anybody done that yet or is that just a worry at this point that, that, that's a worry that's okay. a worry that was brought up in a few papers yeah no no one's done that yet but it is potential oh yeah i mean we, we always have to keep an eye on like what have people done and what are we worried that might be possible when I'm doing a threat assessment, those are I'm always keeping that in kind of my tier list. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they could just um, hold a satellite for ransom. You know, mm-hmm. they could just uh, deprive us of that data. Like if they get a hold of uh, some GPS satellites and basically say, like, all right, well, we're not releasing um, the satellites until you pay us. Yeah, well, which is going to affect all your GPS stuff. Well, I mean, maneuvering fuel is is limited on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you could, in fact brick of satellite by just expending all of its uh all of its uh maneuvering thrust yeah you can do that or um later on i'll talk about other ways uh, <laughs> they've already done it okay and, and worked satellites 
So CubeSats are built for pretty low budgets. However, because of that, they usually use off-the-shelf hardware. They can be built for as little as $30,000. So that's not much in the grand scheme of things, especially when you know, you're talking $30,000 versus whatever James Webb costs now, which is like $72 trillion, billion, million dollars or whatever is that now. This also means, though, that because they're using off-the-shelf hardware, uh, there's no one exploits for all that hardware. So attackers can just look up what they're using and try to figure out how to attack it. Yeah. And uh, I think you, one of your, yours and my mutual friends who's in the aerospace industry, one of the things I got from talking to her was that the components, because they have to go through so much testing, the, the cycling of new components in, even if they want to, takes so long that everything that goes up tends to be years and years old. And that's way too long in the infosec world or in the in the IT world. Yeah, I mean, you're talking, uh, like I won't say what missions, but like I have missions that are still running like Solaris 4 or 5 or like Windows XP on some of their simulators. And those mirror the software and hardware of the actual spacecraft. And you can't update that down on the ground here, um, which always gets us hit during audits because they're like, well, you got you to gotta update this. This OS is no longer valid. And we're like, well, we can't because we can't update the spacecraft orbiting the planet. Yeah. And you and I have talked a little bit about that because uh, from an infrastructure point of view, always digging people is no is not good for anybody. You have to come up with a plan for how to isolate it so that it's safe and then be able to yeah. sign off on it rather than beating up the team every year when it's audit time. Yeah. Or forcing the team to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to basically redo the simulation software on a more up-to-date OS. Hey, it's not my budget. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everyone knows NASA gets tons of money, so we can have tons of uh, cash to throw around. So basically the process of getting something into space is really complicated, go figure. And that requires a lot of different groups all working together. Well, no, no, it's not that complicated. If the Karabals can do it, anybody can. <laughs> And I say uh, working together with uh, air quotes because, yeah, sometimes it's a real struggle to work with uh, some of these groups. Uh, as more and more links, though, are added to that chain, the likelihood of one link being, uh, like, you know, very weak increases. Mm -hmm. And the more common components, the more likely that mm -hmm. weakness spreads to a large group. Yeah. And actually, to your earlier point, one of the things that we've seen is kind of when we see larger install bases, they tend to be, they tend to get more hacking attention because there's just more to do with them. Yeah. So it's both of those things kind of happening at the same time, synergizing and making you less secure. <laughs> exactly. And you also just run into, as more and more people get brought on, um, there's more and more times that like myself and others have looked at how they're doing things and been like, wait, are you, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, how long have you been doing it this way? Like, we did not know this was your MO and like, this is how you do operations. Like, oh crap. But like, we got to rethink this entire thing now. This is how we've always done. Oh, so there's more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's always a thing too. And that's a, that's a very big thing. Um, like within the realm of like NASA and like, I feel, I feel like in other places too of, well, it's worked in the past. It should work now as well. Yeah. I've actually run into some similar stuff having to do with medical equipment and some other biotech equipment. Mm -hmm. They have, Similar problems, although I, uh, from the sounds of it, it's not quite as bad. Uh, we managed to get all of the MRIs off of XP the last time I was working in a hospital environment. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember the last time I was in a hospital looking at the, the system, and I was like, ooh, that's 
That's really outdated. That should not be. That should not be like keeping me alive. It's like I recognize that. Yeah, you're like is that Windows <laughs> ME? Like what the hell? Well, hey, support trailing edge technology. <laughs> <laughs> Supportable, reliable, obsolete. Exactly. When it comes to CubeSats too, hacking them could be as simple as just waiting for them to pass overhead and then sending commands to them with specialized antennas. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, ground stations control satellites via computers, also that have a host of software vulnerabilities. So you have like those two major attack vectors right there. And hackers could potentially take control of these computers and send malicious commands to the spacecraft. Mm-hmm. Now, this this always gets brought up during audits, at least in my section of this. And most of the time, it's it's just a um, a risk that we accept. And we control that just basically by saying, well, there, there's only a set list of commands that can be sent to the spacecraft. So you, you have to know what you're sending, going to send to it. Now, if a hacker got on the system and knows that set of commands. Yeah, security through obscurity. And it, it, yeah, exactly. security through obscurity is no security at all. Exactly. It's a nice additional component, but you can never rely on it. Yeah, it's basically like, yeah, like random Joe Schmo walking down the street with an antenna for some reason it picks up the satellite, can't suddenly know what the commands to send to it. But a group that are actively trying to take over your spacecraft probably looked up what the commands are for that. Yeah, or an insider, a disgruntled insider, that kind of thing. You, you're, In fact, we've seen systems that are that are uh, mainframe hacking wasn't a thing for a while. And now, and now there's a handful of folks that specialize in it and have done talks about mainframe security. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can't rely on it being obscure and and secret forever yeah exactly it's like i could go off on this, this is one of my favorite yeah. little... <laughs> so someone someone's gonna leak a manual or someone's yeah. gonna dig something up at some point and then well now you're bummed yeah well this is the example that i like to usually talk about is back in the white hat days of unix there was like seven back doors into one of the major uh commercial unix systems and the customers weren't supposed to know it but Eventually, the manuals and the technicians talking and whatnot all leaked out. Mm-hmm. And so those were known yeah. by not just the administrators, but also hackers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And a lot of the security, and this is all focused basically on the ground uh, station segment of things. Mm-hmm. Because one major thing, and as I was talking to people at the, the village about the CubeSats, is that uh, the spacecraft is very limited on resources. Like there's, mm-hmm. you know, Obviously, only so much hardware you can put on that thing before it costs way too much to throw it in space. Yeah. And always the limiting factor in aerospace. Mm-hmm, exactly. And they were they were talking at the village about putting uh, intrusion detection systems and elastic search on some of these CubeSats and everything. And I was like, that's really cool. But like how how are you going to explain that to the scientists? Because that's <laughs> almost always a losing battle when it comes to, hey, we have X amount of resources. I want to use like 30 to 40 percent of that for security. Mm-hmm. The scientists are not going to say, "Oh yeah, that, that's fine. We'll I'll I'll use the the rest for the science data." They're going to say, "No, like it's, it's all going yeah. to science data." Kiss my ass. Yeah. Well, also like those things, if you're not tailoring them specifically for what you're trying to do, are going to be pretty resource intensive, just because they're made to deal with a different problem set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So what, one example of satellite hacking happened in 1998 when hackers took over the uh, U.S. German Rosat X-ray satellite. Mm-hmm. by hacking the computers at uh, Goddard Space Flight Center. <laughs> and they were able to aim the solar panels of the spacecraft fully towards the sun, and they burned out the system, basically bricking it. it. Eventually crashed back into Earth in 2011, but it was like, you know, 
It couldn't be used anymore. Yeah, it was space junk at that point. Mm-hmm, exactly. I've also heard like rumors of a few others um, getting potentially exploited. One was basically using kind of a management tool, kind of like a shoot. What was it? The recent uh, vulnerability that came out, where was the the MSP tool that like basically allowed the hackers to hit all these systems? Oh, the uh, Kesha. Yeah, 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 exactly. Something like that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Someone had just gotten the bright idea of basically opening it to the internet so they could reach it from home because they didn't want to go into the office and they got hit. And because it was... Because that's never dangerous. Yeah, exactly. It was rubbed into everything else that caused a lot of issues. And in uh, 2008, hackers from China reportedly took over uh, two other NASA satellites, one for about two minutes and the other for nine minutes. In 2018, another group of Chinese state-backed uh, hackers launched a sophisticated hacking, hacking campaign that was aimed primarily at satellite operators and defense contractors. So shows they're actually out there targeting, you know, these groups of people. So they're targeting these ground stations or they're actually targeting the satellites directly? They're targeting the ground stations because okay. that's the, the easiest way to kind of get control of it. And like, you know, just with um, phishing campaigns and other sort of things like that. Yeah. And the Iranian hacking groups also have attempted similar attacks like that as the Chinese groups have. And the DOD has made some efforts to address cybersecurity, but the pace has been very, very slow, excruciatingly slow. And there's currently no cybersecurity standards for satellites. And there's no governing body to regulate uh, to ensure their cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's no mechanisms in place to enforce any of these standards, even if they were developed right now. So there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah. Well, I mean, and again, you were saying that those satellites are up there for a decade. Mm -hmm. Even if we waved a magic wand and had a perfectly engineered system today, we still have a decade, maybe even several decades worth of operational life in the satellites that are up there. What are you going to do? Exactly. Patch them? Are you going to replace them? Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we now have the capability of refueling. Mm-hmm. So we we've now even extended some of these lifetimes by like ten more years or so. Yeah, and there's the idea of like, okay, well, if we can refuel them, like, can we can we somehow like patch them while we're refueling them? Like, how would that work? Yeah, well, but, patching supposes that you have the computational power to do what you what your new system is. You have the storage and the mm-hmm. CPU and the RAM to do it. You know. I don't know anything about these systems, but I know Moore's law and I know how fast CPU power is, has increased, uh, even with the kind of lag that it, that is uh, chip approval and everything. I'm sure that there are satellites that were launched this year that have significantly more capacity than satellites that were launched 10 years ago. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm not an aerospace engineer, so I don't mm-hmm. do anything with the satellites themselves, but like I know there's no redundancy in them. So mm-hmm. if you're talking about patching the satellite itself no one's going to write off on that because what happens if it doesn't come back up yeah you just bricked your you know 10 million dollar spacecraft and yeah now everyone is out of a job yeah and it and you're talking about command systems so like so the point is that you're going to have to break the existing control channel you have with it in order to move on to something else yeah or at least what i'm thinking which is that you have some kind of a of command authentication and and um and scrutinization at the system level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
And as more and more companies uh, seek to get into space, uh, the pressure to speed up the development for security standards and production to cut costs, um, it's, it's making it more tempting for these these groups to cut corners because you know everyone's racing to throw stuff in space and be the first to do X, Y, and Z. So cybersecurity, obviously, it always takes a backseat. Yeah, this is the same story we're hearing for the Internet of Things. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. when you have some really good practitioners out there, really good companies and toolkits and stuff, there's no barrier to entry for people to do it badly. Yeah, it's just throw it up there and we'll patch it um, later on. <laughs> it's kind of like the, the Blizzard way of doing game design. We'll fix it in software. Yeah, here's a horrible expansion. We'll fix it in uh, two to three patches later. And the cost of cybersecurity on some of the stuff can even exceed the cost of the satellite itself if you're talking about basically ensuring all the components. So there's no way you're going to be doubling or tripling the budget. They're not going to take that. And on top of this, due to the crazy supply chain of um, all the stuff, there's never a clear, basically, it was you target to blame when the blame game starts. Yeah. So, like, you even have that. Like, if your spacecraft gets uh, attacked and taken over, like, you don't know who who was at fault there because you have, like, 12 companies in this, like, you know, daisy chain group here and at that point it doesn't matter whose fault it is because you're never going to be in the in the parlance of insurance made whole you'll never get enough money to put another satellite up there <laughs> yeah yeah exactly some analysts have uh, begun to advocate for strong government involvement in the development and regulation of cybersecurity standards for satellite and other space assets and that's a really complex undertaking though mm-hmm. From the outside looking in, you can basically ask why not all satellites follow like some sort of cookie cutter approach. Um, and that is true. Like there's been some push of basically like, you know, this, this is the baseline. Um, all these satellites will follow this. But because of a lot of like on the, on the science side of things, you just that can't be done because a lot of it's basically um, custom built for whatever they're trying to um, discover or figure out mm-hmm. when they launch it. Like CubeSats on like with that stuff being off the shelf and um, a lot of that can be kind of cookie cutter yeah, to some capacity. I could see some level of unification of this stuff. Like mm-hmm. we're seeing to talk about raspberry pies, which we're seeing a lot of um, component stuff that we can marry to a raspberry pie or a uh, uh, um, Arduino. Yep. We're seeing some standardization of components for those things. Uh, and it's just, hey, whatever the thing you decided to add has to operate with this bus, these voltages, yada, yada. And then it's, I mean, I've done a little bit of playing, not as much as you with some of this stuff. And and like a temperature probe is just going to give you a signal. Um, you could design to that standard once we once there's a level of standardization. But I don't think that the, that unifying on a single software on a single standard, you know, for all of these things is, is going to happen quickly. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't honestly think it'll ever happen. Even on the commercial, the commercial side, I could see it happening probably a little bit more like, Oh, this is, this is kind of our cookie cutter built for G- GPS satellites. This is our cookie cutter built for telecommunication mm-hmm. satellites, stuff like that. But if not everyone is kind of taking this approach and you have like just one group that's, you know, a one-off. And you're also talking like the world over. So like even if the United States develops this, if China, Russia, or anyone, any other country throwing um, something into space does not, that one spacecraft that could potentially be hacked has the potential to cause catastrophic damage to everyone else's spacecraft. 
Yeah. I, if there's significant industry co- consolidation, I could see it. But this is one of those things where you're not going to see a handful of global companies doing everything because there's so much national interest in so many satellites that go up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And on top of that, just like away from the spacecraft hardware side of things, a lot of the, just the ground station stuff is um, very obtuse and clunky. Um, a lot of like the software that they use and everything. Um, obviously, I won't, I won't be specific, but there's just a lot of software also that like they they just write that does redundant things sometimes um, or tries to reinvent the wheel. Um, mm-hmm. like, I, I've encountered software that like they have spent time and money in doing simplistic things like like file copies and other things because oh well we needed to like work this way and telling them like well like we have so many like file copying um methods currently and like our our sync could have just handled this all for you why like why did why did you like basically invent our sync or invent like scp but it's not secure in any fashion like i don't i don't understand yeah they went straight to their editor before passing google (laughs) (laughs) yeah and a lot of this also is very um like custom made like we have have a group from a very prestigious college um, that does a lot of like uh, custom hardware, custom software. And we have systems that are very outdated, but they can't be updated because this group designed the entire thing and they won't update it. So we're, we're basically kind of stuck. We're like, well, like this, this is the mission. This is what we use. <laughs> we don't know what to tell you because they like, they won't update it. We don't have the budget to update it. We still need to be getting the science data because it's like a lot of people depend on this. So like, like, sorry. Tell you what, we can fix this if you can pay for it. Yeah, exactly. So the question is, uh, how easy would it be to hack it satellite? <laughs> this is also part of the, the Hackasat thing, which mm-hmm. I think is still going on. Um, they're having groups basically just hacking uh, satellite software and whatnot. Big competition. But on top of that, I found a few articles, um, one by Gregory Falco. Uh, he's a cyber research fellow at Harvard's Belfer Center, or at least was when he wrote this opinion article in the Washington Post. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it states, basically, it took him about one minute to demonstrate to a major broadcasting company how to access and restart a, a leading Saturn satellite for an internet provider control system. And after that, he said it took five minutes, basically, to show how long it would take to bas- take uh, full control of that satellite. And uh, when SpaceX won the bid to launch the Starlink satellites, the FCC did not require any disclosure on their part on how they would secure those satellites or the internet they were providing. And obviously, of course, SpaceX didn't volunteer that information with anyone about its cybersecurity efforts or plans. So we're just kind of left in the dark as to what they're doing, if anything. Yeah, well, it's worth saying that once you get to the network service provider level, there isn't a lot of security on the internet, or at least not for your traffic. Mm. They do a lot of stuff making sure that people don't manipulate the network. But once you get past basically your ISP's network link, there's too many packets going on at the telecommunication Mm. level Mm -hmm. for them to be doing that much. So I wouldn't expect they were doing anything because again, they're much more resource limited Mm. with the the stuff that's in the the orbit than what what is on the ground. Yeah, yeah. And you, you brought up um, 
the uh, IoT devices. Uh, Gregory make, uh, made reference to IoT devices that can be basically be purchased for less than $100 and how we should not be treating satellites the same way. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, we're, we're treating them as we do IoT of just like, yeah, whatever, like throw, throw it in there. We'll, we'll patch it and fix it after the fact if we can. Does it work on the it, bench? It must be fine. Yeah. Because uh, turns out satellites are not as easily discarded, uh, can remain in space for many years. And we can be dealing with those ramifications of their low security for 10 plus years to come. They're not as easily replaced as a light bulb? Yeah. And, it, you know, when it, when it comes to the security of this stuff, designers never envision people on the ground attempting to hijack the signals of the satellites. You know, because a lot of the stuff was built back when, you know, you needed a lot of money to have the power of an antenna to send signals to this. And now some of that stuff you can just, you know, buy for a few hundred bucks and clue it together. I saw an antenna on my internet travels just like a day or two ago that'll go 150 miles. And <laughs> that's enough. Mm, yeah. And, you know, we talked about this. They have limiting memory and processing. So obviously data encryption is just like, that's out the window. They're not doing that. For, exa for example, Voyager 1, in order to set up an SSL link, would have to have crunched bits for six days. So obviously, you know, newer satellites, more advanced than Voyager 1, yeah. but also, you know, still, like, you know, it's not, not a thing um, being considered. Yeah. So, like, IPsec actually has two protocols. One is the tunnel protocol. The other one that you don't see used very often is called AH, or address header. Uh, or mm -hmm. address header authenticated header. I forget what it stands for. But all that does is does a digital signature for the packet. Right. I wonder if you could do not at the packet level, but at the like the uh, the session level, uh, transporter session level, being able to just, like sign a command set and still being able to do the CPU crunching necessary. And I don't. I don't know. And maybe not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I have no idea. But Bill Malik, another person I found that wrote some articles, he is the VP of infrastructure strategies at Trend Micro. Mm -hmm. And he showed at an RSA conference, several known attacks on NASA systems. One being the Hubble telescope systems, for example, uh, could have an attacker access them and open the camera hatch while pointed to the sun, which would just nuke the optics yeah. right away. That was exactly the same attack that you said uh, got that one system from Goddard. Yeah, exactly. And they could use the solar panels to blow out the batteries, um, like that one I mentioned mm -hmm. there. Yeah. And many satellites are also vulnerable to jamming attacks. Um, yeah, Mal Malik made suggestions of using frequency hops to make it harder for attackers to jam signals, which isn't something used right now that I know of. The Hedy Lamar solution. <laughs> In the case of GPS, ground systems uh, should make greater use of GPS authentication to ensure signals are uh, authentic and not manipulated. Mm hmm and most newer satellites are using encryption, but it's not a silver bullet. Satellite traffic still needs to be monitored and logged. And this, this is all coming from Malik. Yeah, but it sounds like that that we've actually we've gotten the point where there's enough CPU to do encryption. And, and some of them. Yeah. Well, also, encryption is kind of a broad term. Just because you can establish a symmetric encryption connection, which is much lower CPU than asymmetric encryption, Mm -hmm. Like just because you you've encrypted the communications, you've secured that you still have a command security system yeah. that essentially authenticates the command entity. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure encryption's something being utilized by some sectors. Like, yeah, 
I don't do anything with the Air Force. And if I did, I wouldn't talk about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, but I'm sure, you know, they, they have the money to do some of the stuff that smaller agencies uh, don't have the money to actually do. Uh, the NSGA, <laughs> National Geospatial Agency, they have a fair bit of money in some satellites up there. And that's, uh, that's about all we know. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And during the uh, Chaos Communication Camp, which was uh, held in uh, Zenedic, Germany in 2015, there was a presentation entitled Iridium Hacking, Please Don't Sue Us, <laughs> um, by hackers named uh, Sek and Schneider. I don't believe that Schneider uh, demonstrated how to eavesdrop on Iridium pager traffic using a pager that was handed out at the camp. That was, that was their badge was a, a pager. Oh, awesome. And, uh, they, they figured out how to use that to um, basically uh, pull data off of satellites. Because I remember seeing that as a headline about hacking Iridium and I didn't mm -hmm. read anything on that. I didn't really, they, they're able to read any of any Iridium pager traffic. Yeah. Yeah. So um the Iridium network uh, consists of 66 active satellites in LEO. Mm -hmm. It was developed by Motorola for the Iridium company, and it offers voice and data comms for satellite phones, pagers, and integrated transceivers around the world. Um, yeah. Iridium went bankrupt in 1999, but Motorola bought them out in uh, 2001. Yeah. I think that they were charging something like a thousand bucks a minute or something like that. Yeah. And I, I believe from what I read, like Iridium went out of, went bankrupt because it took so long to launch these satellites that mm -hmm. they just couldn't. Like they couldn't make back their money. So, and I'm one of the largest uh, users of this network. Um, care to guess? Mm. Uh, I thought it was Saudi Aramco. Uh, Pentagon. Oh, the, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure uh, Ramco also. No, I, I know that I, yeah. I remember reading that they were using them for communications for remote oil exploration and stuff like that. But um, I didn't realize that the Pentagon was was a, was a big uh, user of the of Iridium. Yeah. Which, which also makes sense because, you know, a lot of sat phones and stuff out in, you know, war zones. Oh, yeah. And stuff like that. Unreliable communications, although there's some pretty hilarious stories in the last 20 or 30 years of folks using the communication, the landline communications on the ground because that because they uh, couldn't get the rest of their comms working correctly. Yes. So, Sek explained in the presentation that the main problem with Iridium was it the poor security. It was the fact that they had no security at all. Security is the last feature. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They, they forgot about that. Yeah. It was originally designed in the 1980s. The network was obsolete by the time it even launched in 98. Traffic is sent in clear text by default, and most pager traffic remains unencrypted for this uh, iteration of the network. It, like uh, We were talking about like leaked documents. So an Iridium internal PowerPoint deck uh, released by WikiLeaks in 2018 um, boasted the complexity of the Iridium Air interface makes the challenge of developing an Iridium L-band monitoring device very difficult and probably beyond the reach of all but the most determined adversaries. And due to frequency shifts as satellites go overhead, it makes it difficult to capture the Iridium traffic. So they basically use the camp badges to capture all the traffic and then just pulled out the Iridium traffic afterwards. <laughs> so that's how they got they got around that. <laughs> They got around it by upsizing the array and just guzzling everything. Mm. Oh, you can't surgically take this out. I don't need to be surgical. Yeah, yeah. I'll just cast a wide net and take everything. And so to do, to do this, like as I mentioned, they use the badge, which is an onboard on uh, PCB antenna. Mm -hmm. And with that, um, Schneider said, you can collect 22% of all the packets um, you can receive uh, with the proper Iridium antenna. And... 
he said basically a, a Raspberry Pi uh, two is beefy enough to process all that traffic that they they gathered. That's amazing. Now, that Iridium network is obviously now defunct. Uh, Iridium Next is the new generation of the network, mm-hmm. and that was launched between 2015 and 2017, and has a mission life of 15 years. So, I I couldn't find much information on that. Obviously, it's new. But who knows, like in the next 10 years or so, there might be a talk on like, you know, hacking that and like pulling that data. Well, we'll see. I know that it, one of the things is this is the whole gray hat full disclosure model is, you know, you end up being more secure when you release your information and let people work at it. Mm-hmm. We went to a talk about, um, what is it, for, uh, LTE traffic yeah. at, at DEF CON. Mm-hmm because those researchers could work on the specs and had the ability to uh, to test against testbed uh, cell implementations. If they don't do that, chances that they, that they wrote something that's perfectly secure is not high. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like we, we always find out that, yeah, like you were saying, security through obscurity, like, like they weren't actually secure in any way. Like- Eventually somebody's gonna know enough. Or what I usually say about government secrets. Government can keep secrets. It just can't keep all the secrets and you don't know which ones are going to get disclosed. The same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You can keep a secret. You may be able to have something that never got discovered or only got discovered once it was no longer important. But you can't be sure that that's going to be the way it goes down. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's that's all I had on the whole uh, satellite side of things. Um, it was pretty interesting. Yeah, uh, I'm curious to see more talks on it because I think this is the second year they've had hack the sat at DefCon, mm-hmm. at least from like what I was, was gathering. Uh, it, I don't know if like the first one was virtual in the virtual one last year or not. Might have been. I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't look at any of the villages during the virtual one. Mm-hmm. So this is this is the first time I saw those out there. I think that's actually a really interesting area. Because uh, cars, the new generation, you're getting new generations pretty pretty regularly. Cars are even getting updates at the dealerships now. Mm-hmm. So the remediation cycle is a lot tighter on cars than it would be on satellites for all the reasons we talked about. I think that it's going to yeah. be a pretty interesting area. I mean, there's a bunch of thoughts. Could we make a constellation that incorporates a lot of the security stuff into it? So... There, you don't have to dedicate very much of the on-system CPU for the for security stuff. Mm, yeah. Can we uh, detect some of this traffic of of anybody like trying to communicate directly to those satellites? Do intrusion detection by signals intelligence rather than um, trying to put the burden on the satellite itself? Yeah, potentially. Or like, will like someone step in and basically like, yeah, they'll launch like a, like their constellation of a security suite. Mm-hmm that like the other satellites can somehow interface with in some capacity that that'll be their um, business plan. But that goes back to the problem we were talking about earlier, that you have to have some standardization of implementation in order for that to work. Yeah. The, the final point I would have is fun NASA more. <laughs> well, I don't know, actually, I should probably check on, on this, but uh, when I went to Cape Canaveral for the first time, I remember the tour guide saying, that because of the way that patents work, whenever NASA gets a patent, basically any U.S. citizen can use that patent for um, for business. The economic development from those patents was something like six or seven times NASA's budget every year. I don't know if that's still true, but it's like it probably is. It seems obvious that you should fund this more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's bad. 
Recording notes can be found at www.hackingthegibson.online. Follow Hack the Gibbs 1 on Twitter to get notified of new recordings. Support the continued observation of Hacking the Gibson on Patreon.